Good morning. Happy Easter. Happy, 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 happy April Fools. Has anyone been a victim already this morning? We had a big plan to do something here, but we're not going to do anything cruel. I know, I know, I know. Um, we are uh, really excited to be able to have everyone here together celebrating Easter Resurrection Sunday. And for those that haven't been with us the last several weeks, we've been working through a series where we've been studying out the last few chapters of the book of Mark. And if you guys want to, you can be opening your Bibles now to the book of Mark chapter 16. If you don't have a Bible, you can share it with someone, uh, get it up on your phone. We'll be looking there in just a few moments. Uh, but we have been studying out uh, this theme alive. What makes us feel alive? And we talked about encouragement, you know, affirmation and validation, making us feel alive, how it makes us feel alive when we give, when we're generous and we give things away. Uh, Time makes us feel alive. Sometimes the idea of time running out uh, makes us go and do something, hopefully a good thing. And so that can make us feel alive. Uh, My favorite of the series so far has been food. We talk about how food makes us feel alive. And for the foodies in the room, we love that. And then Last week, we talked about pain making us feel alive, uh, and that was a tough one, but a necessary one. And we've been working through these last few days of Jesus on the earth as he came into Jerusalem and did different things, experienced different things, eventually died on the cross. And today we'll read about his resurrection. Um, Today we talk about a man who came back alive after the dead. Let's just let that marinate for a second. How does that feel that the linchpin of the Christian faith sounds a little bit absurd? A man died and then came back to life. How about getting that phone call after a loved one has died that a few hours later you get another phone call that they're alive? That's not a fun April Fool's joke. What's interesting is that there are stories like this. I'll tell you about one. In February 2014 in Mississippi, Walter Williams was pronounced dead, not April Fool's joke, it was February, dead by the coroners. Completed the paperwork, transported Mr. Williams inside a body bag to the embalming room of Porter and Son's funeral home in Lexington. But before the embalming process could begin, the body bag started to move. He said, wait, he was alive. Now, there are a lot of stories like this. You can start Googling and you, you sort of, your head starts spinning five hours later, 12 hours later. What? What is going on in the medical profession? There are a lot of stories like this. So something that I ask myself in reading about these stories is, is Jesus's story different? Or might it have been something similar? Well, there is one big difference. Jesus was publicly murdered. While these folks all have exhibited signs and passing in sleep or at home or in the hospital, Jesus' death was very, very different. So here we are at Easter. Do you believe a man was murdered and then came back to life three days later? Newsweek did a poll a few years ago and asked people, do you believe this? And uh, interestingly enough, not all Christians said yes. So if you're filling out a survey, it first asks, are you a Christian? Okay, check that one. Yep. Next question is, uh, do you believe Jesus rose from the dead? No, I don't believe that. Well, the two sort of go hand in hand. So there's a little bit of confusion there. 
And actually, interestingly enough, 32% of the people that took the poll said they were not Christian, but they did believe that Jesus rose from the dead, which I thought was fascinating. So still some confusion. Now, we don't have time to explain or examine all the evidence today. Uh, We're going to give you a little bit, but if you're in the percentage of folks that don't believe, we're so glad that you stepped foot in church. That's brave. That's awesome. You're open-minded, at least for a minute. That's awesome. Very cool. We want to encourage you to do the homework. There's a lot out there to learn and to read and to build your faith on. Now, one of the difficult arguments to uh, go back and forth on is this whole tomb being empty thing. That's a difficult one to argue. And uh, all really, you have to think about this, 2,000 years ago, all the Romans or the Jews had to do to disprove this whole thing was to produce the dead body. That's all you had to do. Here's Jesus. He's dead. Enough with the riots and the revolution. But they couldn't because there wasn't a body. Then you say, well, then these disciples must have done something with it. And you start examining the small band of rebel Christians at the time were scattered, disorganized, faithless, did not think there was a resurrected Jesus, scared, out of their minds, in no position to take out a post of highly trained assassin Roman soldiers, break Caesar's seal, move a gigantic stone, and take Jesus' body out and then hide it. So the strongest argument out there, I think, against the resurrection is actually that Jesus never really died. You say, you're a minister. You're not supposed to be saying things like this. We'll get there. You still with me? All right. I think I only saw a few people leave. Come back. No, I'm just kidding. It's interesting to look at some of the different branches of so-called Christianity. You see all different kinds of opinions. Of course, the founder of the Christian science religion, Mary Baker Eddy, says no resurrection happened because there was no death. It just was seemed like to be a death. Jehovah Witness religion, 1872, is quoted as saying he rose spiritually, but they reject the physical resurrection of Jesus. It's in the original doctrine. Islam's holy book in the Quran claims Jesus only appeared dead on the cross and lived through the whole ordeal. These are some of the claims that are out there. Now, what I find fascinating and helpful to work through this small bit of homework and evidence that we're talking about here before we get into our Mark 16 text is that Greek, Roman, and Jewish historians and eyewitness accounts corroborate the story that Jesus actually died. You say, what, John? The Greeks, the Romans, the Jews? I thought those were some of the people that put Jesus on the cross. Well, yes. And so that would be really good evidence if the enemies of Christianity corroborated Jesus' death. Are you with me? Okay, half of us are with me. That's awesome. We're going to take that and roll with it. For the other half, check out this quote. Jewish historian Flavius Josephus, one of the famous ones, one of the better ones, records all of Jewish history, and in particular, and you can find this for free on Google Books, page 613. Josephus says he was Christ, and when Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal men among us, had condemned him to the cross, those that loved him at the first did not forsake him, for he appeared to them alive again on the third day, as the divine prophets had foretold, and the tribe of Christians so named from them, from him, are not extinct at this day. In other words, the history of the Jews includes a man named Jesus who died and was believed to have risen again on the third day. 
The renowned professor of history, Thomas Arnold, at Oxford University, says no one fact in the history of mankind is probed by better and more fuller evidence of every sort than the fact that Jesus died and rose from the dead. There's a lot of evidence to work through out there, let alone our faith that we believe. So if you're a disciple of Jesus and he rose from the dead and all that evidence backed you up, what would you do when you found out that he was alive? Try to think about it. Maybe throw a party. Maybe a salsa party. (laughs) Maybe you would call Newsweek and amend the article. Maybe you would be happy. Maybe you would print posters. Maybe you would throw a special service. I don't know. But see, this is where the Bible separates itself. See, this is a real story about real people, real people who were scared, real people who were mourning the loss of a close best friend, mourning the loss of their savior, the one they thought would save them from oppression, from generations and generations of oppression. They were unhappy. They were mourning. They were grieving and they reacted to bizarre circumstances, probably the way that we would. So let's read in Mark chapter 16 about how a few people reacted to the news. Here's a snapshot of the resurrection in Mark chapter 16, starting in verse 1. Today's lesson is called April Fools. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. And they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side. And they were alarmed. Do not be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. Well, he's risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. And we will stop there. There are so many... (laughs) Unexpected and ridiculous events happening in the eight verses that we just read. You guys ready for me to list them off? All right, check this out. First off, where are the apostles? Okay, at this point, I think there's 11 left. Where are they? Perhaps asleep. That seems to be their custom. Where are the special main people that walked closest with Christ, did miracles, walked on water briefly? Where are they? They're not there. That's a weird thing. They committed everything in their lives, even their lives themselves, to Jesus. And at the moment that they at least should be anointing the body, let alone expecting the risen Christ, they're not there. Another thing, who is there? Three ladies. Mary M. 
Mary M, Mary J, and Salome. As you're reading through the text, you've heard of at least one of those three. You're like, who are the other two? Got to go back, got to look. So not as popular in sort of the gospel pretext. All right, and then what happens there? It's kind of an irrational plot line. So the Jewish Sabbath goes from Friday night to Saturday night. That's when B&H is closed. That's how you know. (laughs) These ladies, seemingly unfazed by the Christian manhunt that is happening around them, go shopping after Sabbath Saturday night for expensive spices to anoint Jesus' body the next morning. Not something you would think they would do. The spices are also a little bit cray-cray. You start thinking about what they got. They got oil. That means crazy. Sorry. They got oil mixed with aloes and myrrh. Myrrh seems to be showing up a lot. Myrrh. We talked about this last week. Jesus offered myrrh at birth as an expensive gift. Myrrh at the cross as a painkiller. He never needs it. Why do they keep giving him gifts he doesn't need? So they go out and they buy. What are we going to get? What are we going to get? What does he need? Myrrh. More myrrh. Give up on the myrrh. Then at sunrise, which is also ridiculous. Get it? Sunrise. That's weird. Verse 3, I love that they're debating. They're on their way. They've thought through what specific spices they're going to bring. They, they know the way. They, they know the risk. At least we hope they understand kind of the greater concepts of what's going on. On the way. They're almost there, and they ask each other, who's going to roll away the stone? I hadn't read any footnotes about Salome being an Olympic weightlifter at that time. It just doesn't seem like a well-thought-out plan. But when people are mourning, when people are grieving, when people are sad, when people are in shock, people do all kinds of stuff. That doesn't make sense. Maybe they considered it, maybe they didn't. But it's okay, because they show up, and what happens? Dude in a robe is there. Dude in a robe says, because they were alarmed, says, don't be alarmed. Perceptive. Said the sun has already risen. Again, okay, we get it. God's sense of humor, maybe. He'll check in with you later. Go tell folks about it. Now, all four Gospels have these women reporting the resurrection first. It's only a few things that are repeated in all four. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is one of the big ones. This is occupied Roman territory, okay? Jews are the marginalized oppressed. They are the minorities. This is the equivalent of a Jew in Nazi Germany, an African slave on an American plantation. No one believes them. No one treats them human. This is where they're at 2,000 years ago. You with me? And then there's one layer deeper. Check this out. Not just Jews, but in the Jews' own law, women are discounted politically and legally. So just within the Jewish law, You already have things going against you in Roman-occupied and oppressed territory, but if you're a woman, it's worse. I'll quote Josephus again, our historian, in his Antiquities, chapter 4. You can look at the page free on Google again. The testimony of women must not be accepted because of the levity and presumption of their sex. 
say what? Was that the insult? I think it was. The testimony of women must not be accepted in a court of law because of the levity and presumption of their sex. They're foolish. Don't listen. This whole thing is foolishness. The tomb is empty. The truth is out, literally. There are no skeletons in the closet, literally. Why not write the story where the Jewish men show up first, corroborate with the Roman soldiers. Oh, now it's getting good. I can believe this. Demand local Jewish council to organize a proper investigation. Print retractions. Let Rome know. Caesar takes recourse. Everything changes. He's alive. Why not write that story? I think there's two reasons. Number one, to show us that this is truth. This is not a polished, published story. There's no Photoshopping here. Nothing made up. Even the little details like the messenger was on the right side of the tomb. Why? Because it happened. Details like that. And number two, to remind us that God loves this kind of foolishness. We're all going to be April fools by the end of this lesson. I'll show you scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. In verse 9. It says, we have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to human beings. We're fools for Christ. But you are so wise in Christ. Paul gets a little sarcastic, warning. We work hard with our own hands, it continues in verse 12. When we are cursed, we bless. When we're persecuted, we endure it. When we're slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world. And right up to this very moment. Fools for Christ. I had to look up this word fool in the original language, the Greek. It's from the word moros, which is where the English get our word moron. So in other words, you can read, we are morons for Christ. How comfortable does that feel? I won't make you say it. Other words that could be used As synonyms, dull, flat, stupid, insipid, idiot, blockhead, sluggish, brainless, empty, unthinking. If they just took that clip from the video, that would be really bad, right? Context, all right? We always need the full context. That's what it means. How does this make sense? Well, the fool for Christ isn't trying to be smart in the ways of the world. That's the answer. Let's ask a question to the world. World? How have things been working out for you lately? Exactly. See, I'm happy to be separate from and ignorant to the world's culture. But I have to work at that. Because we are in the world, but we're called not to be of it. Christ's culture is counterculture. We're stupid to the world. If we believe this foolish story about a man raising from the dead. You know, in the uh, English court... The jester or the fool was entertainment, but it was actually also a high honor. They had the inside scoop to everything that was going on in the palace. And sometimes they were the only one allowed to deliver news to the king and have private conversation. See, what everyone thought was ridiculous, foolish, low class, and almost worthless actually had great worth in God's kingdom. I want to show you a video of uh, a well-known late night television host, who uh, used to, in his previous show, Stephen Colbert, uh, hosted what was called the Colbert Rapport. 
And in it, he played a fool. And he talks a little bit about this in an interview with a Catholic priest. I'm going to show you just a minute of what he talks about here. Well, like when we're rewriting any show, whether it was my old show or any show I've worked on, as a comedian, you'll be sitting around trying to think of the right joke. And someone will say, well, I have an idea. And they go, well, what is it? Because you're on deadline. The clock is ticking. And, and the person will go, oh, it's, I don't know, it's stupid. And we go, how stupid? <laughs> Maybe. Because stupid is like gold. Because to think illogically is, you know, is to think illogically is often just to think unexpectedly. And we perceive it as stupid. He's a fool because he doesn't act according to logic. And he also doesn't act according to social norms. And he doesn't act according to social expectations or expectations of what a human reaction would be. He's a fool. And though Christ says, call no man fool, I am one. And so... Aren't we all fools for Christ, huh? Yeah, yeah. Willing to be wrong in society or wrong according to our time, but right according to our conscience, which is guided by the Holy Spirit. Now, how long... Are you writing this down, by the way? Because I'm laying... This is... I mean, I should have this in Latin, what I just said. I'm some other Please. Colbert laying it out, right? It's kind of interesting, right? He's talking about the fool that he played, and then the guy asked him, are we fools for Christ? And he says, yeah, yeah. What does he mean? Well, fools for Christ is moros to the world. Moron, stupidity, insipid, flat, dull. Doesn't make sense in the world that we live in. You know, a lot of people that we know about uh, in sort of recent history have also been the fools to the world. You know, the, the world thought Gandhi was insane for not eating in protest of civil rights violations. Oscar Schindler saved hundreds of Jews from the Holocaust. You know how he was repaid? This is so interesting. Well before they made the movie, right? Uh, he was jobless and broke, declared bankruptcy, and then died the next year. They said Mother Teresa was crazy for living with lepers. They laughed at Rosa Parks for thinking she could sit in a whites-only section of a bus. And they killed Martin Luther King Jr. because of his foolish message of equality. See, we understand this in a more modern context. Even in our now cosmopolitan, politically correct culture, there is still so much that's incorrect. Still the world decries humility and holiness, but deifies power and greed. You know, I've been so proud of the work that the Big Apple Church has been doing in our community, the way that you guys are organizing to serve people who are less fortunate, people who are disadvantaged, any way that we can, our time, our money, our talents, it's been very inspiring. And another thing that's been really cool is just uh, engaging on, uh, in social media and highlighting some of the amazing things that God has been doing in our fellowship. And I just started uh, looking at our Instagram page and I really want to lift up uh, Ben and Aisha and many who have been working on our Instagram page and just volunteering. Uh, they've done an amazing job. And You know, if you just start looking around and poking around, you see all kinds of cool things and pictures and images of some of the things that we have done together. And it hasn't been up that long. And yes, the beard is awesome and powerful. You saw that, Nick. Nick, you got a shout out. Um, But highlighting the members who rise above the current culture, serving the community, not selfishly or greedily taking from it. 
And I love that we were even highlighting the voices that have been traditionally ignored in our nation, speaking loudly as fools for Christ as we celebrated Black History Month and Women's History Month this last month. See, this is what Jesus stood for, and this is what we stand for today. We stand as fools for this message. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, in verse 18, for the message of the cross is what? It's foolishness. It's foolishness to a lost world, for those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where's the wise man? Where's the scholar? Where's the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. I believe that God looks at the heart of a person. And he often chooses to work through those that the world rejects. That the world rejects as weak or vulnerable or soft or dumb. You know, you look at examples in the Bible. Saul was tall, powerful, looked the part for a king, but David was chosen to replace him. He wasn't tall, didn't have any experience, was a kid, not a soldier, not a politician. He was a teenager, but he would be the one to defeat a giant and become the greatest king in Israel. Moses was confused, scared. He was a deserter. He did not speak well publicly, and yet he was chosen to free millions of slaves and be their leader. Esther was a kid, a teenage girl, scared out of her mind, no resources, no experience. She became the queen and saved a nation. Abraham, an old man, geriatric, weak, 100 years old. He became a powerful father and a leader. Ridiculous, foolishness, right? Joseph was young, too young, sold as a slave. How can you work through a slave? God says, watch me. Wrongfully accused, in prison, left to die, and become second only to Pharaoh. Mary, another teenage pregnancy, right? Damaged goods, accused of scandal, and yet becomes the mother of the Most High. The list goes on and on and on. It's real stories about real people that the world rejected, but God raised up. Jesus wouldn't recruit followers down Harvard Square of the synagogue like other rabbis. He went down to the fishing nets to rabbi school dropout section. He went to the hated tax collector booth, to the nobodies, to the washed up, to the JV team, to the bench. Watch out for those people who are laughed at. Watch out for the cornered. Watch out for the marginalized. They become the revolutionaries. It's not human logic. It's beyond it. It's not limited by the wisdom of the world because it's free from that. We're free from the shackles of the wisdom of the world. Oh, it's so smart as it tells us how to live and what to buy. We can be free from that. Emancipated from the greed shackles. You know, the world thought Jesus was a fool. And if the Christian's job is to imitate Jesus, then guess what? We're fools. We're fools. How far do we go? How far do we go to be fools like Jesus? To imitate his faith in your prayer life, in your purity, in your holiness, in your personal example. You know, current culture says, follow your heart, right? Christ culture says sometimes the, the heart gets clouded by emotion. Ever happen to you? You ever get emotional and it clouds your decision-making process? But the world says you can always trust your heart. God says, hang on, you can't always trust it. Instead, make decisions based on the unchanging standard of godly morality and his Bible. That's a different way of looking at life. 
The world says, that's fine, be spiritual, but don't let it get in the way of your job. See the conditions there, right? So if we need you Sunday morning, then sorry, no church. You can't commit to that. You need to commit to this. Sure, Easter and Christmas and maybe a couple others, but beyond that, it's a little weird to go to church that much. You know, we moved from Los Angeles to New York City. Foolishness, right? Everyone we talked to when we came here was like, people go the other way. What are you talking about? (laughs) Palm trees, sun, all the time, the ocean. And we had to explain. Because we sold the house and the car and packed up the kids. They were young and changed and risked all the comforts of career and familiarity and all that good stuff because God had other plans. Even though in our hearts, we would rather stay. Especially when we came and it was cold. (laughs) See, Arlene and I grew up on the East Coast. It's one of the reasons we left. Sometimes God calls you back to the things that aren't very comfortable. Because that's what it means to be a fool for Christ. But the world says, no, can't sacrifice your comfort. That would be foolishness. So he made it clear over months that we were needed 3,000 miles away. And many of you have moved here too. Because you were called in some way, shape, or form. Question, how does the resurrected Jesus find his way into your life today? Some of us, the challenge will be, it's time to get foolish. Maybe foolish for you means sitting down and study the Bible. Really take a crack at it. To sit down with a friend that you came to church with today. Maybe it's been a while. Maybe it's been never. Uh, Me growing up, the Bible was always around, but I never really read it. I saw it at church. I saw my parents reading it. Uh, The most I really got was the index cards that my moms would put into my underwears when I went on trips. Always a great surprise when I'm getting dressed in the morning and Proverbs 31 pops out. What's that doing there? Mama. But we're not kids anymore. It's time to dig into the Bible as an adult to ask those questions. I'm so proud of those who are in the room that have been hanging out with us and deciding to go there. Deciding to be open enough to hear what the Bible says and how it speaks into the lives that they're living. I'm also so proud of those who've even come back today, uh, who are in our fellowship today and maybe were at some time. We've missed you. We're glad you're back today. Your story isn't over yet. Restoration is possible. Get foolish with the resurrected Jesus. When you go home today and you tell your friends uh, you went to Easter service, they're going to say, what'd you talk about? The minister said, get foolish to fool around. You say, what? It doesn't mean what you think it means. To start feeling good about being free and foolish with Jesus. Feeling Good is a pretty amazing song that was written in the 60s. And uh, actually a little bit of a controversial Broadway musical brought over from England about race. And there's a song in it where a man of color sings out in victory. And it's the unexpected thing. You don't see it coming. And it's considered foolish as he starts singing, I'm feeling good. Birds flying high, you know how I feel. 
Sun in the sky. You know how I feel. It's a new dawn. It's a new day. It's a new life for me. Yeah. And I'm feeling good. Of course, this has been a a song that's been covered by as many bands as you can name from Coltrane to Muse to Buble to Jay-Z and Mary J, not the same one from 2000 years ago. But uh, probably made most popular by Nina Simone. Sleep in peace when day is done. That's what I mean. So world is a new world and a bold world for me. Oh, freedom is mine. And I know how I feel. Jesus is alive. And Jesus knew how he felt on the third day. The song became really uh, quite an anthem in the civil rights movement and beyond. And it reminds us of the anthem that Jesus sang 2,000 years ago. That even though he suffered the pain of humiliation, mistreatment, profiling, harassment, racial discrimination, undeserved imprisonment, punishment, torture, and murder, he knew how he would feel because God would have his day. That got him through the pain. And so the message for us today is to live like Jesus, to live foolish in the world's eyes, to feel good because we're free from where the world is trying to teach us, feeling good because we're truly alive and living as free fools on this earth. Let's pray for the communion at this time. Our Father in heaven, we are grateful to be able to come to you at this time to be free, but in the deeper sense of the word, to be free in our souls, to know that we are not bound to the bondage of what the world teaches us. We don't need to do what it says, that we can rebel against the darkness, against the greed, against the impurity. Father, help us to have the strength to step out. Help us to be revolutionaries like the men and women 2,000 years ago. Help us to be like those three amazing women who, though they were grieving, filled with so many emotions that we couldn't possibly imagine, God, help us to be like them in their faith as they eventually did tell everybody the good news. We want to imitate that. And share the good news with others. Not just here on Easter day. But for the rest of our lives. God help us to remember Jesus' death. And what he went through on the cross for us. That we studied specifically last week. Help us never to forget the pain that he suffered through. But also help us to celebrate this moment. Because he rose alive three days later. Help us to celebrate the empty tomb. Help us to celebrate that we are not empty in the tomb of our hearts but rather you live there as you lived 2,000 years ago. Help us to celebrate this time with the bread and the juice, which represents the body and blood that you gave. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.